0: So I'll just do a review real quick of past couple weeks just to refresh you guys on that. So we are changing gears a little bit today. We're going to go on to a different topic, but past two weeks, we've gone over what the balance is between the wrath of God and the love of God. Two weeks ago, we covered the wrath of God in more detail in terms of what that means as an aspect of God's character, why that's essential to His love. And then last week, we went over how the cross of Christ is the perfect depiction or expression of both the love and the wrath of God. And the point of that was to give you guys a simple means of explaining what the message of the cross is to people that you are sharing your faith with or just for your own understanding as well. And just to make sure we've covered all of that, does anyone by chance from last week's teaching have any questions that maybe weren't answered from last week? So I'd like to cover those first, if, if so. Okay. Should be good. Alrighty then. So we will then get into the teaching for today. And so the outline, or the handout that I gave you guys, is not exhaustive, but it will give you kind of baseline points for everything we're going to cover. So I would still encourage you guys to take your own notes if you want to add comments here and there. But this is how we will start. So let's go to James chapter 3. We'll start in verse 1 first. Talking about the power of words. And I'm going over this as an essential topic simply because I think there's a lot of misunderstanding out there about the kind of influence that your words have over your life. And James chapter 3 is kind of the champion of chapters, if you will, on this topic. So we're going to read through the first eight verses. Most of the scriptures that we'll cover are on this handout that I gave you. I can't promise that that's going to be all the scriptures because as you guys know, there's a lot of additional ones that kind of fly out here and there. So, (laughs) but the essential ones are already written down for you. Okay. Verse one, James three starts by saying, my brethren, let not many of you become teachers knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships, although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts of great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. And we'll stop there for now. Okay, let's go back to verse 1. So the idea that we're focusing on for this is, and this is what's written in the outline, that words have the power to set the course of one's entire life. And as he says in verse 2, that if you are able to not stumble or sin or make a mistake in your words then that makes you a perfect man. So perfect words would mean a perfect life. That's the principle that's being taught here. Now, it's really important that he starts with saying, let not many of us become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. Because if we just take uh, my own role before you guys as an example, that because I'm teaching, that means, number one, my words are going to be either examined or criticized a little bit more intently than the average person simply because the things that are being conveyed here are also being set forth as doctrine that we're supposed to believe. And the point is that it would come from Scripture, that any teaching that comes out of any church is supposed to come from Scripture. But there is a stricter examination of the words that come from teachers that are to become a person's doctrine. And so that puts me in a position where I have to be very careful. And the reason why he starts with that is because ultimately, and this is the first bullet point or second bullet point on the outline there, that first, the words of teaching or of doctrine you believe will steer your life. So the reason why he starts by saying that not many of us should become teachers is because the first set of words that ultimately set the course of your life are the words that make up the doctrine you believe. That comes first. So we could rightly say that if we were able to convey and relay perfect teaching, that would mean perfect doctrine. And perfect doctrine would mean that you could direct your life perfectly, which is that third bullet point there. So the first thing you got to pay attention to is the words that make up what you believe, doctrinally speaking. That's what's most important. You can also apply that verse in uh, verse two, chapter three, where it says that if anyone doesn't stumble on a word, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Think of the whole body in terms of the church, not just your individual life. That if the teaching and doctrine and discussion inside of a community is perfect, that results in perfect unity that makes for a perfect man, which interestingly enough, Ephesians four refers to the goal of the church as becoming a perfect man able to bridle the whole body. So if you want to be able to not only reign in, but perfectly lead a body of believers, you do that with perfect word. So doctrine is the first thing being discussed here. So if we mastered the teaching that comes from a church and then how we relay and share that teaching with other people, we'd be able to bridle the whole church, the whole body. That's the first point. Then you narrow it down individually. You have your own personal life, which begins, of course, with what you believe. It compares your words to putting a bit in a horse's mouth that is, allows you to cause a horse to obey you, and you turn its whole body. And then it says, look at ships, that they are so large and driven by fierce winds, yet they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Your tongue works the same way. Your words work the same way. You can set the course of your entire life. You can lead an entire community, an entire church, and sometimes, in fact, actually to this day, entire nations are led by sets of words. And it comes from the tongue, which it says is a small member. So let's go to Matthew chapter 12 now. Matthew chapter 12. We will start reading in verse 33, and we'll get into verse 34. Start in verse 33, Matthew 12. It says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. Verse 34, brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. So we'll pause there. The first thing he starts with is a key principle that we live by, which is that you know a tree by its fruit. That's what verse 33 is talking about. Your life is the tree. The output of your life is the fruit. The fruit of your life, according to Jesus here in verse 34, is in part what you talk about, your words. The second type of fruit is your behavior, your conduct, your actions, or your character, you could say. You could just narrow that down to your behavior. How you act and how you speak is the fruit of your life. You know a tree by its fruit, You know a believer by their fruit. You know an unbeliever by their fruit. We are never to identify, conclude, or or make a judgment about a person on the basis of a few claims that they make about what they believe. We are able to make accurate judgments about people on the basis of their fruit, which in combination is what they talk about and how they behave or how they live. What they talk about and how they behave. And because Jesus in this passage focuses on your words, he's he's identifying that as a type of fruit. And he says, a person who is evil will not speak good things because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now, this doesn't mean that every single individual thing that you say is a reflection of the condition of your heart. Because sometimes we let things slip out. Sometimes we say things rashly or we say things without thinking here and there once or twice, that doesn't mean that's what your heart is like. And that's why we have to make sure we identify or make a judgment about the condition of your heart or a person's heart by what they talk about most. So, one moment. So an example would be, let's say, for example, and this is stated at the end of the outline as well, we'll get to that in more detail. If you're sick and you say, just to tell a person your physical condition, I'm not feeling well today. That doesn't mean out of your heart, you're pouring forth sickness, okay? You're just admitting to a physical reality. But if all that you talk about all the time is your medical problems and you obsess over it, is that coming from your heart? Yes, absolutely. Now, this is also important because a person can say, come to you and say, oh, I'm a Christian. I believe that Jesus is the son of God that came out of their mouth. But if their life does not reflect that they have made Jesus their Lord, then that claim they made, although it came from their mouth, was not true. Therefore, it didn't really come from their heart. So a person can say lots of things, but that doesn't mean they are actually and fully expressing to you what's in their heart. But if you have a conversation with a person who says that Jesus is Lord, and you prod a little bit more, they will eventually start to reveal in how they speak what it is that they they really believe. So Jesus is not in this passage saying that you can ask a person a single question, for example, about whether they're a believer or not, and be able to make an accurate judgment based on that single question. But as you speak to a person, converse with a person more, the way that they talk, what they talk about, showing what they think about, what's important to them, that reveals the condition of a person's heart. And that's what he's trying to say here. Uh, So, Jacob, we can cover your question now if you still have that.
1: Um, I think you said what people say rationally, just in the moment, doesn't reveal the condition of their heart. Not always. Okay. I I like I understand what you said by like okay I'm sick that's just admitting or like mm-hmm. okay I'm a Christian but like their life doesn't reflect I get that mm-hmm. but how about someone who's a believer um, a legitimate believer living their life for Christ and then slips up once and like I don't know curses another person out however way I like it's like, but they repent and stuff even though they did it without thinking and they might have done it in the spur of the moment it's not how they usually act that still reveals the condition of their heart that it needs. Um, their mind needs renewing still. Would you agree to that? Yeah,
0: Basically. it reveals... When when a person speaks, it always is going to reveal something about the person, but you're not just because if a person slips up with their words, once I say, you know, they, they cuss or whatever, that doesn't tell you about that person that they are a perverse person, right? But it would reveal, and this is, I think, to your point, Jacob, that they... Obviously, still have some things they need to grow in in their life to help clean up their speech more. Right? So it might reveal that, but when I say revealing the condition of a person's heart, just because a person has a moment of perversity that might come out of their mouth, that doesn't make them automatically a perverse person entirely. Wouldn't um, it also reveal like It could reveal that too. Yep. Yep. A person, if they're hanging out with the wrong crowd, yes, that might based on how they talk habitually, that might show you, hey, they might be spending time with some people that are influencing them negatively. So yeah, yep. Okay, so then let's go to Matthew 15, verse 11. Another passage in Matthew. Matthew 15, verse 11. Before we read that verse, we could just summarize the first two main bullet points in this outline by saying that the first types of words that steer a person's life is what they believe, their doctrine. Second is that you can learn the condition of a person's heart by listening to how they talk because that's one part of a person's fruit. Then Matthew 15 verse 11, not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth This defiles a man. Then his disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? I just think that's kind of funny. Don't you know you offended some people when you said that? Yes, I did know that. (laughs) Verse 13. But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. Then Peter answered and said to him, explain this parable to us. So Jesus said, are you also without understanding? Do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. So the first thing that we'll touch on here is that what comes out defiles you, not what goes in. Now, this doesn't mean if you're talking about how the stomach works that you can just eat whatever you want because that's not going to make you unhealthy. That's not what he's saying here. He's using your stomach as an illustration to say in this context, in this case, it's a religious context where people would get really, really nitpicky about make sure you eat with washed hands, which was a tradition that the Pharisees came up with that wasn't even in the Bible. And then make sure you eat this food and don't eat this food and eat this, but don't eat that. Touch this. Don't touch that. Those kinds of regulations and a failure to observe those regulations was considered by many to be what defiled a person or what made them sinful. And we do this today. In many cases as believers, when we think that if we, let's say for example, If we spend enough time in church on a weekly basis, which is really an external practice, then we think that, okay, that keeps us in the right spot, right? Or on the contrary, you might have a person like this. I'm sure you guys are all somewhat familiar with this, where you, you can walk into a store or some kind of building or some kind of social setting, whatever, and you kind of like feel this like icky feeling about the room. Have you guys ever had that happen before? You, you walk, you get around a certain group of people or a certain place and you just feel like there's something wrong there. So then we can walk away from that and you feel like it has defiled you, right? Or you feel like unclean. Have you guys ever noticed that before? So here's the thing. People can take their external environment and they let that be what determines to them whether they're clean or not. So we pay so much more attention to those external things when according to Jesus, what it's really about is what comes out of you. What comes out of your life is what defiles you. So rather than getting all worried and anxious about whether you observe all of these regulations perfectly, you should be thinking about what comes out of your heart. What do you talk about? What do you do? What are your actions, right? That's what he's focusing on. And he uses the example of saying that The things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. Which brings us to the main point that I have written in this outline, which is that what you say reflects the contents of your heart. The mouth speaks most about what is in the heart. So when we are talking about the condition of a person's heart and the connection of that to words, This means that your words are powerful in one sense because they reflect the condition of your heart. When Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart for out of it spring the issues of life. That tells us that guarding our heart is what's most important. And what a person talks about will tell you whether they're guarding their heart or not. Or the kind of people you spend your time around. If you're listening to speech that is. Whether it's negative, unbiblical, perverse, and that's all of your input, not only are those people revealing the condition of their heart, but that's also you not guarding yours because those words are going in and they're going to affect your thinking. And that's why in 1 Corinthians fifteen thirty-three it says, evil company corrupts good habits. One moment. Evil company corrupts good habits. That's 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33. What you say reflects the contents of your heart. Your mouth will speak most about what is in your heart. So rather than judging or criticizing other people for the actions of theirs that you think are unclean or that you think are defiled, you should be paying attention to what you let fly out of your mouth. Because that actually defiles you more than what happens around you externally. Yes, yep, yeah. when you're in that kind of company, exactly. So, RJ, did you have a comment, question?
2: Well, you covered it, but I was just going to say it's not what comes out of another person's mouth that defiles us. Mm -hmm. So if we're at home with our spouse, if we're at work, if we're with friends, if we're in a public place, what they're saying at us, about us, is not what's defiling us. Mm-hmm. It's how we respond to that. Exactly. And what comes out of our mouth that mm-hmm. defiles us. Yep.
0: Exactly. Great point. Again, focusing on internal rather than external stuff. You can, for evangelistic purposes, you can spend time around people who, yes, might have a lot of issues, and their speech can be pretty negative sometimes or pretty foul or profane. But that doesn't, that doesn't defile you. If you make that person a close friend and that's, You only spend all your time around people that are that that kind of negative influence. Yes, that will start to influence you. But because we live in a fallen world, we're going to be around people that are fallen, around people that have fallen speech, so on and so forth. And that doesn't defile you. That doesn't make you dirty. What comes out of your heart is what defiles you or not. So you have to watch how you behave, how you speak. You don't have to be really religious and legalistic about making sure you only spend time around church people because if we're going to reach the world we have to be around unbelievers and that doesn't have to influence us cuz other, otherwise what happens is people can get really worried about oh, I don't want to make sure I'm around unbelievers you know about reaching them too much and if i go into a person's house and i know there's demons in that house or whatever then it makes me feel me feel icky and then i feel weird and then okay if walking into a house or a home of an unbeliever causes you and your influence as a believer to be completely neutralized, that's a problem. Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Amen? You should not be, your, your power in Christ should not be neutralized or made ineffective by walking into somebody's home that feels icky. Okay? Yes?
1: I, I don't have the scripture memorized where it's at, but you know the part where it says don't, it, about people that are preaching antichrist basically, um, don't let them into your home. First John, yeah. First John, yeah.
0: So, what about it? Yeah. You're just stating that as like another example
1: in scripture uh, of that. What? Well, I mean, there are boundaries, right?
0: Oh, 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 yeah, yeah, like, yes. So, yes. but that that scripture is actually for a different reason. That's for a different okay. reason. So, if somebody, so that that's actually in Second uh, John. Yes. The end like verse nine, I believe. So that passage is trying to say that if you, if somebody comes to you bringing a different doctrine, this is not talking about just your average unbeliever. This is somebody bringing false teaching. He says, when you welcome them into your home and greet them, you share in their evil deeds. So that's actually talking about make sure you're not participating in fellowship, representing the church with people that are spreading false doctrine. Because when you're welcoming somebody into your home, and especially if you're in a gathering with believers and you're functioning as the church and you're teaching the word of God and you let somebody into the fellowship as a brother who's spreading false doctrine, then you're participating in the spread of that false doctrine. That's what that's talking about. That's what you watch for. But at some point, because of living in a fallen world, we're going to be around people who are unbelievers, and that is not what defiles us. What you do, what you say, what comes out of your heart is what defiles you. that's the point of what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 15. Okay. So let's move forward here. Next bullet point. So how, let's go back to the doctrine issue. How should the word of God steer the life? You accomplish that by putting the word in your heart. Let's go to Joshua chapter 1 verse 8 Remember that James chapter 3 starts by saying that let not many of us become teachers because the first type of words or speech that determines the course of your life is the teaching that you believe. So now we have to ask the question, OK, how do we effectively steer steer our lives in the right direction by use of our words? Because words act as like a bit in a horse's mouth, like the rudder on a ship, or as a spark that lights an entire forest of flame. How do you, how do you take advantage of that power? There's the negative power, which is that You can cause a lot of destruction around you if you're not careful with your words. We'll get into more of that later. But on the positive side of things, how can you use words to positively impact your life and the lives of other people? And that's what Joshua is talking about. Chapter 1. Let's start actually in verse 7. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. But you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. So God is saying to Joshua here, I want the course of your life to be about obedience to God's law. How do you accomplish that? In other words, how do you get a person to take actions in the right direction? How do you get them to actually be obedient to the word of God? And he says it starts this way. Let it never depart from your mouth and meditate in it day and night. Now, Deuteronomy gives us a practical example of what that looks like. So go to Deuteronomy chapter 6. We'll start in verse 4. Before we read that, keep in mind, Joshua 1 is trying to tell us that the first thing you do, if you want to change the course of a person's life in obedience to the word, you start with, what do they talk about? Is the word of God always in their, uh, in their mouth or not? Do they talk about the word or not? That's what it comes down to first. In so verse four, he says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words which, which I command you today shall be in your heart. What did Jesus keep talking about in Matthew 12 and Matthew 15? Words reflect your heart, right? So God in Deuteronomy is reiterating the same point. It's about what's in your heart. I want the word to be in your heart because your heart, out of your heart, spring the issues of life, amen? Amen. So he says, these words should be in your heart, shall be in your heart. So how do you do that? How do you get the words in your heart? Verse seven, he starts saying it. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them. When you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Notice, he does not say to get the word in your heart, you go to church once a week. You're not going to change the condition of your heart if you feel that just that kind of simple religious duty, but then you just talk trash the rest of the week. Just, that's not going to affect your heart one bit. The way you get the word of God in your heart, which will change the course of your life, is by talking about it all the time. Amen. <laughs> it takes more work than just going to church once a week, right? So he says, teach them diligently to your children, the word of God, talk of them, When you sit down, when you walk, when you lie down, when you rise up. Now think about how many times you sit down, stand up, walk or lie down in the course of a day. A lot. So when you're sitting, that should be a reminder to talk about the word. When you're standing, that should be a reminder to talk about the word. When you're walking, that should be a reminder to talk about the word. When you lie down to go to sleep or take a nap, that should be a reminder to talk about the word. So, if you do that, he says, That is what makes causes the word of God to be put in your heart. Then if you make that a habit, what happens is that your heart actually starts to take on that word. And the Bible says that God's law is written on your heart. When God's law is written on your heart, then it makes it more natural. And you could say automatic for you to talk about scripture on a continual basis. So when James says, your tongue is a little member, like the rudder that steers a ship driven by fierce winds, if we're to take advantage of the power that your tongue has for the word of God, what you do is be diligent to talk about the word constantly, and that becomes the rudder for the ship of your life that will steer your life in the direction of what would be God's desire for your life. So if you want, well, okay, I'll put it this way. Your words, regardless of how you live, are a rudder. Your tongue is going to steer the course of your life, whether you like it or not. You can't stop that. If you want your words to steer your life in the direction of Christ, you have to be intentional about writing the word on your heart so that it will come out of your mouth so that it will steer your life in the right direction. So if you want to do and be obedient, if you want to be obedient to God and do what would be God's desire for your life, you can't just say as a new year's resolution, I'm going to do this from now on. You have to start by retraining your tongue to speak continually of God's word. You can't just make a one-time resolution and think that'll work. You have to change how your tongue speaks. The way you do that is by changing your heart because all your mouth is is a reflection of what's in your heart. That's all it is. So if you want to change what you speak and therefore the direction of your life, you have to change the condition of your heart. And you do that with your input, what you listen to, what you talk about. This is why godly fellowship is so important. This is why it it cannot be neglected. Because if you spend your time as a believer... Around believers who love speaking of the word of God. What is that going to do for your heart? It'll start putting the word in. It'll start writing that word on your heart. Because if, you're, if your social circles, if your fellowship surrounds scripture, that helps to write God's word on your heart. But if you go without that fellowship, then the other people that you spend time around with or the... the other source of sources of input in your life are going to be what your heart has written on it. That will determine what is written on your heart. So you're going to have content being written on your heart, whether you like it or not. But you get to choose what that input will be. And the time you spend around other believers in fellowship, the time you spend talking with your family about the word of God, all of that influences getting God's word written on your heart. Yes. Maybe talk a little bit about how do, like I know people have told me that they just struggle with thoughts um, that they feel are condemning or whatever. Is that just a matter of renewing their mind? Will that take care of thoughts that come? Yes. 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 So thoughts are interesting. Great question. Because your thoughts can be uncommon and invasive, or they can be common and routine. So there are certain thoughts that you have that are just simply yours because you've thought about something for a long time. You've put a lot of work or invested a lot of time in something, and that you just think about it a lot for that reason. And then there are thoughts that are invasive and uncommon in the sense that they just kind of come out of nowhere. And you're like, that wasn't my thought. You guys probably know what I'm talking about. Those kinds of thoughts can be demonic because just like the Holy Spirit can speak to you, demons can speak to you as well. So the Holy Spirit can give you thoughts. Demons can give you thoughts. And then there's the thoughts that are just simply swirling around in your mind because of your choices, what you decided to think about, what you decided to talk about, so on and so forth. So if a person is dealing with those routine and common thoughts that have come as a result of what they have decided to think and talk about, then you fix that by changing what you meditate on. And that would be by renewing your mind and getting in the Word. But if you're dealing with those invasive thoughts that you know are really not yours and they're coming out of nowhere, that would mean most likely there's some kind of demonic activity happening. And the only way you address that based on what Jesus did was he would rebuke those thoughts with scripture. So Jesus was always prepared with an it is written statement for thoughts that came from the devil. Now, this doesn't mean you're going to fail if you don't have something to say every single time those thoughts come. But you have to be prepared to turn away, not dwell on it, turn away and give yourself some kind of scripture to feed on. And eventually, just as the Bible says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. You keep that resistance up, eventually it will stop. But you do have to take intentional steps to to make that happen. Yeah.
3: Can we just address a lot of people now, especially since over the last few years, spend a lot of time by themselves. But social media, like it's important what we put in front of our eyes and in our ears. And those are thoughts that will come back to you. That's how powerful the imagination is.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, like, like I was saying earlier, everything is input. Everything in your whole life is input. And if you spend a lot of time on Netflix, for example, and that's your input, that is going to affect your heart. It is going to affect how you think. Whether you like it or not, it's just what's going to happen. And that's why it takes time. Like you can't just, like I said, you can't just go to church once a week and think that that's enough. God says in Deuteronomy, the only way you change your heart is by putting the time into talking about the word on a continual basis. That's the only way you can change your heart. Positively. Then the desire to watch goes away. Yes. Desire for negative input starts to go away. Exactly. And the thing is that You don't have to, because the way that the flesh works, you don't have to try to go and meditate on Netflix. You know what I mean? Most of the time, negativity is what the fallen self naturally bends towards. It naturally leans in that direction because we live in a fallen world. You were born with a fallen body and mind. You have to renew your mind, which takes work to stop those habits, but you're you are naturally, your life is naturally going to lean in a negative direction. It's not going to take work for your mind to think negatively. It just simply will without the word. It does take work to think in accordance with scripture, to think positively in that sense. So you do have to put work into it. You have to decide, I'm going to put time into thinking about scripture, and that is what will fix the issue of the heart. You have a comment or
4: question? Yeah. Uh, the scripture, what is it? 2 Corinthians 5 or whatever. It tells, the Bible tells us to take every thought captive. Mm-hmm. Every thought. And I think that's something, I, we have to be intentional about that. Because as you were saying before, our thoughts tend to to the negative always. Mm-hmm. So... <laughs>
3: And if we really knew our identity, who we are in Christ, like we're his kid, we would think automatically, I'm better than that. I don't need to spend, waste my time, whatever.
0: Yeah, you can recognize lies more easily when you have the truth in your heart. Here's another thing, too. If you want to be better at taking thoughts captive, if you want to be better at kicking out negative thoughts, you have to put the word in your heart. And that's about your memory. When you spend time thinking about something, a lot of time, you eventually just automatically memorize it. Sometimes you don't even really have to try to memorize it. If you read something morning and evening, every day for enough time, you'll eventually just memorize it. You'll just know it. So that when those negative thoughts come, you already have in your heart what the Bible says to that situation. So it's just, it almost becomes second nature. You just know, oh, the Bible doesn't say that. I know that's a lie. And your, your, your mind automatically goes to the Word, and that, that's the rebuke. That's turning away from the evil with the it is written that Jesus used, right? So you have to put time into learning that meditation, talking about it with people. Yeah.
1: Yeah, the only way to take thought captive is with the Word um, and studying it, like you said. But I mm-hmm. think the, the biggest challenge for some people, and I found myself um, a couple months or probably like five months ago, having the same problem of like, okay, I want to take thoughts captive on, I want the word, but I don't know where to start in the word and I don't know what I need. And so that just like picking a place to start and just going through a chapter and just staying on a chapter till you like, like got it, and using that, just mm-hmm. finding something.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. You got to pick something. Yeah. Yeah. When, when you first come to Christ, you guys all know what I'm talking about. We got a lot of different kinds of baggage and a lot of different areas and you can't let that overwhelm you. You have to just start somewhere. And that's why it's usually pretty good. Pick a, pick a book in the New Testament. Start reading. Because I guarantee you, you start reading with the intention to let the word correct you. And you're going to come across something that's convicting. You're going to come across something that you know is not a reality in your life. And that's good. It's meant to do that. You know, so just start somewhere. Okay. So let's just review that bullet point where we're talking about. That if you want the word of God to steer your life, you have to write it on your heart. And you do that by meditating on the word, talking about it continually. You have to do that. One moment. If you want to change your life, this is that third bullet point under the, how the word of God will steer your life. It says, if you want to change your life, you must change what you talk and think about. If you want to change what you talk and think about, that's a matter of the tongue, you must change what you meditate on. God created your tongue to have power. If you want want that power to work positively for your life, you have to use the word to change the condition of your heart. That's the intentional meditation on the word day and night that Joshua chapter 1 and Deuteronomy 6 are talking about. Okay, did you still have a... You're good? Okay. All right. Now... Let's get to the next bullet point. What about common words and self-talk? Are your words declarations that create reality? This is a question that comes up a lot, especially in more charismatic word of faith circles, that if I say something, is that going to create it or make it happen? We're going to discuss that a little bit. So far, we've simply gone over, as far as doctrine goes or as the word of God goes, how you use words to change your heart and then thus change the output of your heart, and that steers the course of your life. So, and that, I would say, is most important. If you guys have one takeaway from this teaching, it should be that you can use your tongue to positively steer your life by changing what is written on your heart. Because out of your your heart, the mouth speaks. Amen? That's the most important part. Now, getting into this next point, we have to go over it because I think there's a lot of misconceptions about it. So we'll just start with these scriptures. So let's go over... Proverbs 13, verse 3, and then Proverbs 18, verse 21. Let's go to Proverbs 13, verse 3 first. Proverbs 13, verse 3. Chapter 13, verse 3. It says, He who guards his mouth, preserves his life, but he who opens wide his lips shall have destruction. You know, what's interesting is that uh, James just got done saying no man can tame the tongue. And yet that's exactly what this verse is kind of telling you to do. So it's like, okay, how does that work then? If you can't tame your tongue, then how can you obey the scripture? Because it tells you to guard your mouth. And it's literally speaking of, imagine a giant, massive, an angry herd of, let's say, I don't know, antelope. <laughs> Just, <laughs> <laughs> he didn't know I was going there. Massive herd, like stampeding herd of antelope, right? They're all inside your mouth. Your lips are the gate that lets them out or not. And he's trying to say, hold it back. That's what guarding your mouth is. Your, your lips are this gate. That's what it's talking about. You have to guard the gate, otherwise stuff will just fly out. There's a stampede of negativity. It says a world of deadly poison that is inside you as a fallen, fallen person before you have your mind renewed. Because we we have negativity in our lives. Before we come to Christ, we got to renew our minds to get out of that, to change that. But it, there's deadly poison there. That's what James 3 is trying to say. And you have to guard your mouth. Guard the gates. Otherwise, stuff will just break out. Because he says, if you open wide your lips, you'll have destruction. Which means if you just let fly out of your mouth, everything that you think, it, wouldn't, it would not go well. You wouldn't have very many friends. I'll start there. So, how do you tame the tongue? No man can do it. But there is one thing that can Exactly. The spirit, the word, scripture, scripture can do it because the word of God renews your mind and gives you a new heart, the Bible says. So that's why you can't just try to guard your mouth. You have to put the word in. you have to put the word of God in because that's the power to guard your mouth and therefore preserve your life. He who guards his mouth preserves his life. Then go to eighteen twenty-one, Proverbs eighteen, verse twenty-one. Verse twenty-one says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. So we'll discuss that. Death and life. We just read in Proverbs 13, verse 3, it said that it's the difference between preserving your life and having destruction. This is reiterating the same thing. Death and destruction, life and preservation, is in your mouth, what you say. Then he says, those who love it will eat its fruit loving. This is the power of the tongue. That's what's being discussed here. So a person who has no regard and no appreciation for the power of what they say is going to let whatever they want fly out of their mouth because there isn't a care. There's not a concern, right? But if you love the power of the tongue, that means you, you have an appreciation for it. You recognize its capacity. You recognize its power. You love that God has given it that power Then you'll be able to enjoy the good fruit that will come from that, which is saying if you honor the power that your words have and you choose to use your words well, you're going to enjoy a lot of good produce that's going to come out of your life from that. Your output will be good and you'll be able to enjoy it if you show honor and love to the power that your tongue has. That's what that's trying to say. In simple, you could say your words can bring life or they can bring death or cause harm. Being able to control your tongue is imperative. That means it's of absolute importance that you learn to control your tongue. And the only way you can learn that is by putting the word in. Because you don't have the power to do it by yourself. Yes?
3: Wouldn't the scripture also mean those who will love it will eat its fruit? Meaning that if you a person like my tendencies my past my fleshly tendencies are to continue to spew the negative things that mm-hmm. aren't yet haven't even happened yet but you know what i mean but to, so if i continue to relish in that behavior and continue to speak negative I, I could potentially eat the negative fruit that is coming out of my mouth because i'm speaking it into existence right mm-hmm. the power of life and death is in the tongue so can i if I'm saying negative things, am I going to eat the fruit of the negativity?
0: Yes. Yes. Because your words, all words are seed that you plant and seeds grow. Sow to the flesh, you reap corruption. One of the ways you sow to the flesh is by talking about fleshly things. But remember, all that words are a reflection of the heart. They reveal what's, what's in your heart. And the Bible says, out of your heart flow or spring the issues of life. Proverbs 23, 7 says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So the life becomes what is in your heart. So it is not that your words alone have power to create reality. It's simply that when you talk about something consistently, you're just simply venting what's in your heart. Because what's in your heart determines your reality. What's in your heart ultimately comes down to what you believe, too. Like when Jesus said, it'll be unto you according to your faith. If you talk about something a lot, you're also showing that you believe something. And when you believe something and you talk about something a lot, that does, yes, create create your reality because out of your heart spring the issues of life. As you think in your heart, so you will be. That's the point. Now, where this gets where this gets perverted is where we start to think that, and this is where it gets kind of the, where the word of faith thing can kind of get twisted, where we, we think that if we're not feeling well and we just let it slip out that we're sick, that somehow that's going to make it worse. That's going to shipwreck your faith or what, that's not, that's not the point. That's not what's true. Again, going back to the original point was that if that's all you talk about, and that's just reflecting what you believe and what's in your heart, then yes, that's going to influence your reality negatively. But you can admit a fact of nature and it not affect your faith. And Jesus did this. For example, Lazarus died. He told his disciples, Lazarus sleeps. I go that I may wake him up. That's a statement of faith. I'm telling you what's going to happen. I'm going to raise Lazarus from the dead. The disciples don't get it. And they said, Jesus, if Lazarus is sleeping, he will get better. And Jesus says, guys, he's dead. (laughs) Yeah. So Jesus admitted, he spoke what was a fact of nature. This was just the reality that Lazarus was dead. That did not affect Jesus' faith, obviously, because he still raised Lazarus from the dead. You can admit something in nature. That's not going to undermine or shipwreck your faith. But if that's all you talk and think about, and that is a reflection of what you believe, then yes, that will be a problem. And plus, if you think that one negative word is going to completely thwart a miracle, then you don't really have faith anyway. (laughs) If you think one negative word is going to thwart a miracle, you don't have much faith anyway. You're actually giving more power to the devil are you, you're believing that the devil has more power than God if you think that way. Because you're saying one little piece of negativity is going to destroy what God wants to do. That's not faith. If you think that way, that's a problem. It's about what you believe. What is in your heart is what will determine your reality. Just like Jesus, you can admit Lazarus is dead and you are just fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But if that's all you meditate on and that becomes what you believe and what you constantly Uh, Think about and talk about then that becomes a problem, but it's that simple. Yes little gray button at the very bottom it's a little hard to see but it's under that ledge There you go,
4: hello And then also, if you're not speaking out the truth, say you're sick, how does someone else come alongside or pray or help if you're always denying those kind of truths in your life?
0: Yeah, so this is where we introduce here the importance of the word. Because if you don't want to meditate on negativity, you have to give the positive to meditate on. that scripture. So if you want to bring about more health and life and blessing, in your reality, you you have to put the word in. You have to talk about the word. And that's why it is important. Sometimes you need people to come alongside you and just kind of nudge you. Yeah. And sometimes slap you up a little bit, to be honest, because you can get negative and you just need somebody to use the word to just say, you know, whack, like, why are you thinking that way? You know, here's what the word says, right? That sometimes is needed, you know? So if you want a solution, ultimately, if you want to stop yourself from meditating on the negative, you have to have the word going in. And you have to be talking about it and discussing it with people and, and reading it and learning it, memorizing it. So that's ultimately the solution. Um, another thing is that if, ooh, do I want to go there? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, okay, all right. This is a whole other can of worms, so we'll see. Yeah, ask your question first. Maybe that will distract everyone so I don't have to go. Where's it going to go? Go ahead. You don't have to hold it down, just push it once. Just push it once. The window will be green if it's on, yes. We need a tutorial about how to use these mics or something. Really? Don't have to hold it down, you just push it once.
4: Okay. So my question is, like you said, like um, meditate on the word and you have, you know have to talk about it. So what, what would you, um, so what would you suggest to do for someone that, that, you know, that reads the word and stuff like that, but talking about it makes it implanted on your heart um, more, more and gives you, you know, just gives you more insight on it because, you know, so what would you give advice you would give that person that does not have as much of that outlet? So would you suggest them continue to read the word or would you suggest them like what would you suggest them do if they're the kind of person that's wind up always by themselves?
0: There's a number of things you can do. Number one, you can always increase how much you read the Bible, how much you study it. That always has to increase. But every time you drive, put the word on. Listen to worship music uh when you're let's say you have a job that allows you to have headphones in not every job is that way but if if you do have that advantage put scripture on in your headphones um but you can put good solid teachings on in the car or in headphones just give yourself more input basically bible bible in yes you can put it on while you sleep that too there's this really really great audio drama bible called word of promise i love it it's awesome it's there's like, really big-time voice actors and an orchestra behind it and sound effects and music, and it's epic, especially the Old Testament. I love it. Yeah. Word of Promise. Jim Caviezel, who plays Jesus in The Passion of the Christ, he's, he's the voice for Jesus in The Word of Promise. Yeah, yeah. His, he had a team that produced it. Word of Promise is called. It's really cool.
2: Yeah. So I work from home, and I spend a ton of time all by myself. A ton of time by myself.
0: <laughs> Say it again.
2: A ton of time by myself. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Did anybody hear? Twenty-four eight. So, um, but I like to run, and so when I was running one day, um, I ran, started running, and I said, "Okay, I, okay, God, I'm here to hear from you." And the Holy Ghost said, "No, I'm here to hear from you." And so one of the things I started doing is started speaking out the word to God. So all the word that I put inside me, I started speaking it out to him and just fellowshipping with him loud, talking about it, not just thinking about it, but actually speaking it. And so now I find myself never turning on the TV, and I'm home alone, and I'm speaking out the word while I go through the day. That's helped me out, at least oh, me, thank you. tremendously.
0: good points there. Okay. So uh, I will open the can of worms I said I was going to open. Um, <laughs> you like worms. Yeah. <laughs> so, so okay. What, what I'm going to touch on next here, I won't go into extreme detail, but there is a sense in which what you say, even briefly, can have a negative influence because we're not just dealing with a physical realm or just humans in this world we also have an enemy and there are demonic forces around us everywhere just like there are angelic forces around us everywhere angels and demons are everywhere all the time and the bible says that angels are sent to minister to those who, are, who will inherit salvation so we have angels around us you have angels around you that are sent to help you they're also part of expanding the kingdom Similarly, there are demons, and those demons can hear, and they can listen. God, the Bible says, is the only one that knows the secrets of the heart. So the Bible says God knows your thoughts afar off. He knows what you're going to think before you think it. The devil and demons can't do that. They're created beings. They can hear what you say, but they can't get in your head and listen to your thoughts. They can plant thoughts in, but they can hear what you say. Now, to give you an example of how that might have a negative influence. When you're, let's say, talking about what you're afraid of a lot, around people that might not have that big of an influence, but demons are listening to that. And if you constantly speak of what you fear, that gives a tool to the enemy, because then he knows. Oh, if I just caused that to happen, I could take him out that way, right? You see an example of this with uh, Job. So Job, Satan attacked Job. Took away all of his livelihood, uh, his family. And Job, in in the first or second chapter of all of his musings and groanings about the grief he suffered... He said, what I feared most came upon me. So apparently Job had feared this and he probably talked about it. And it seems that Satan used, took advantage of that, used that against him. So if you are speaking negatively a lot, maybe you're not going to influence, let's say in a moment your own heart, but at least you're giving a foot in the door to the enemy. So you have to watch what you speak simply because of angels and demons, because it's not just people around you. You can be by yourself, but demons and angels can listen to stuff. So you got to be watchful of your speech in that sense. Second point to this, this is where we get into the common, you know, word of faith, binding and loosing and binding the devil and all that. It's really important to understand that because your words will be used against you if you're not careful. And this this is just a, man, I really hope this, this changes some things for you guys. But if you say, let's say there's some kind of demonic thing happening and you know it. And if you say to the devil, I bind you. The term bind literally means To bind, or this is like, as with a rope, a person where they are. So if you say to the devil, I bind you, you're just telling him to stay where he is. (laughs) So if, so if you want to, you need to get specific with this. So if you, if you're commanding, like Jesus, he commanded the demons to go into the pigs. You can cast a demon to a place or even into animals. Jesus did that. But if you're going to use any kind of binding language, you have to say where. And the one great just example of this that you can use if you're if you're doing anything like that, it's not necessarily wrong because Jesus did do a little bit of this. But if you command demons to go you bind them in the heavenly realm, the Bible calls it, and you command them to stay away from your plane of reality, you're binding them away from you. And that's the point. That's, so don't, don't be like, say, oh devil, I bind you. Okay. He's just going to stay right where he is. And you don't want that to happen. Okay. So if you're going to use that kind of language, it's important to be specific about where, otherwise that can also be used against you. If you have some fears you're working through, don't just go and vent all those fears and fears and blab about them everywhere because that can also be used against you. Make sure that you're careful with what you talk about in consideration of the spiritual world around you, not just people. You have to pay attention to that, not just the physical world. So that's the just simple few recommendations about that that side of things. Are there any questions about that? But I don't want to get into this in too much detail. So, huh? Yeah, yeah. You'll, you'll find out later. Yeah. <laughs> I fear gold. <laughs> <laughs> Said I fear gold. <laughs> Go for it.
1: <laughs> no, although although uh, scripture talks about Satan being bound and everything, mm-hmm. you made me think like. Is there even scripture of people verbally binding the enemy? I mean,
0: the, we, don't, we don't have an example of... So the only example we have is Jesus talk using an analogy of binding up a strong man to plunder his goods. But we don't have a scriptural example of Jesus or the apostles specifically using those words. Now, that doesn't make the words wrong. But it just simply means that if you're going to be rebuking the devil or casting demons somewhere... Jesus' example was he, he would tell them where to go. You know, like when you say, go, you know, go into the pigs. So the point is that you, if you're going to be rebuking, binding, whatever, you just want to make sure you're careful about how you say it. Because you could just be make, creating more problems for yourself if you're not careful. But. Just
1: they use that. That yeah. yeah. Uh, the Jesus example with the pigs, I was just curious why
0: he didn't just like blast them off into... The ether, you know, like, why did he put them in the pigs and they all just had to? <laughs> you know what I mean? Great question. I don't know, but <laughs> apparently, casting demons into animals was better in that moment than casting them to somewhere else. I don't know. Um,
2: Some people say the poor farmer had to be like, maybe it does have to do the fact that
1: they were poor. Yeah, that they're unclean. They're Some people unclean. Have said
0: that. Yeah. But that's another can of worms that I don't want to open right now. I don't know if I would want to fish fish dead pig out of a river, but. A <laughs> okay.
3: OK. I've just personally um, commanded demons to go back to the abyss, and I was trying to find a scripture. So Romans 10, 7 says, who shall descend into the deep? That is to bring up Christ again from the dead. So the deep, wherever you want to think of it as the abyss, darkness, um, I've bound them to the abyss and to stay there. (laughs) But I mean, as far as the power of your words, I've been to several funerals where stories were told and testified that that person is gone because they spoke it. And what they spoke happened, and that's why they're no longer here. So your words are so powerful. And there is the reality of the spirit realm, good and evil, that most people are not aware of or just aren't aware of the seriousness of it. Mm
0: That's good. I would recommend, though. I don't. Um, I don't want to go into this in too much more detail, but I would. I just have to say, just for the sake of you know all of our safety, I would not recommend telling demons to go to the abyss. The reason why is because that is their domain. They're just going to come right back out. That's. It's <laughs> like telling Batman to go back to his cave. Like, okay, he's just going to come right back out. So it's, I, I wouldn't recommend that. You want to you be specific to what, I don't want to get in it. Basically, long story short, I would not tell demons to go back to the abyss because they're going to come right back out. That's their house. Yeah, bind them, bind them to the, the Bible calls it the heavenly realm. You bind them to the heavenly realm. And you could even, you can even say I bind you to heaven or like to the kingdom of God. Because if demons are bound to where, God and his angels abide, yeah. then you get the help of the angels to stop them from, that makes sense? They could yeah, they could, yeah, they could jump, right, exactly. So do, don't bind them to their home. <laughs> 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 the heavens, yeah, the heavens. The, heavens. yeah. The, heavens. the heavens.
2: So I was just going to make another comment. Um, we had this conversation Tuesday, I think, mm-hmm. um, so I studied a lot more. And one of the things that I studied that wasn't apparent to me is the demons have been around for thousands and thousands of years. Oh, yeah. And they don't just have to hear you speak. They watch you. They Mm -hmm. observe you. Mm -hmm. So what you are doing with your mouth closed, if it's not in line with the word, is going to also be something that the demons can attach
0: to. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. So the whole point of this, the reason why I got into this period was just to watch your mouth in consideration of the spiritual realm as well, not just the physical realm. If people hearing what you say can be used against you, demons can do the same thing. So be careful about what you say with that consideration as well. That's the main point, but I don't want to get into that anymore, so we'll move on. Um, if you have more questions about that, we can discuss those separately. Okay, so under that bullet point about common words and self-talk, it gets into points about types of speech. So gossip, Proverbs 16, 28. Let's look at that real quick. Proverbs 16.28 says, a perverse man sows strife, and a whisperer separates the best of friends. If words are used in the form of gossip, they can destroy friendships. So you have to watch the whispering. KJV calls that tail bearing, but it's basically gossip is what it's talking about. Proverbs 15.4 4 says a wholesome tongue is a tree of life but perverseness in it breaks the spirit so you can destroy your own emotional health as well if there's perverseness in your tongue it breaks the spirit that's talking about it can cause brokenness in this is the spirit referring to the, the spirit of a person's life the spirit by which they live the this, can, this shows in their demeanor or their countenance, but this is, in simplest words, this is a person's emotional, mental well-being. You can cause destruction and brokenness in that part of your life if there's perverseness in your words. That's how it can affect you. Now, on the contrary, we have kind and wise words. Kind words, Proverbs 16, 24, says... Pleasant words are like honeycomb, sweetness to the soul, and health to the bones. Kind, pleasant words are actually healthy for you. And this is even true scientifically, that if you talk a lot about something, it's going to cause you to think about it a lot, and how you think has an effect on your physical health. If a person is continually depressed, stressed, that can cause all kinds of physical issues. There are even certain types of cancers and diseases and things like that that come from stress, for example, if a person stays stressed for a long period of time. So obviously it would make sense then that it's not just negative words that have a negative effect on the body, but positive words have a positive effect on the body. So you're also going to contribute to your own physical health if you speak well and spend time around people who will speak well over you. Amen? Amen? Words of wisdom, Proverbs 12, verse 18. Proverbs 12, verse 18 says, there is one who speaks like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise promotes health. The tongue of the wise promotes health. It will add health to your life and to your body by letting wisdom in and meditating on that. Then Proverbs 18, 4 says, the words of a man's mouth are deep waters. The wellspring of wisdom is a flowing brook. This is a uh, the deep waters in a flowing book, brook Jesus used as an illustration for life coming out of a person and going into a person. The wisdom that comes out of a person's life is like this river. It's, he calls it a flowing brook that actually feeds life into other people. For even just as an example going through this kind of teaching, talking about the word, this this is The wisdom that comes from the word is a flowing brook that brings life and health into your reality. And we're experiencing that even now. Wise words can give life and refresh and heal people who are hurting. That's the point of this. So these are just a few examples. There's other different kinds of speech in scripture that are talked about. But if you're involved in gossip and perverse speech, it's going to affect your health, the health of others. You're going to break apart friendships. So don't be involved in that. Instead, if your words are wise, kind, and pleasant, you're going to minister health, life, refreshment, and healing to people. Now, we've already discussed this a little bit, but I'll just say it again since I have it written here. If you say that you're sick, for example, you're not going to make things worse. But if your heart dwells on sickness, and that's what you constantly talk about, that will influence your reality, simply because your thinking influences your health. What your heart believes will, will be your reality, and your mouth reveals your heart. Proverbs four twenty three is where it says, "Guard your heart, for out of it flow the or spring the issues of life." And Proverbs twenty three seven is what says that as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Main point at the bottom is you can destroy or preserve your life by what you say, so be careful what you say. And then two, yes. <laughs> For some reason, page two decided to be printed right there. Yes, (laughs) two. (laughs) That's funny. So let's go back to just to wrap this all up. Again, the main point for you guys to remember, what will have the greatest influence on your life, is that James 3, your tongue is a rudder on a ship that steers and controls and directs your life. If you want the power of those words to, to steer you positively, you have to use the words of God that you put in your heart, you get those words in your heart and you start talking about them, that will steer your life because God designed your mouth and your heart to work that way. That's the main point. That's, that should be the main takeaway. Be careful with your words because you can preserve or destroy life. And that's the second part of this outline, which is talking about the things like gossip, perverse speech, or on the contrary, kind or wise words. You can bring life or death depending on how you use your mouth. And then just to make sure the main point about practically so that that's not forgotten, Deuteronomy says that you get the word in your heart and therefore steer your life by talking about it. Teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way. When you lie down and when you rise up, you should write them on the doorposts of your house or, and on your gates. And then he says, uh, bind them around your neck and as frontlets between your eyes. So he says basically, <laughs> okay, you know that? Have you guys seen Over the Hedge? Yes. I'm going somewhere with this, I promise. Over the Hedge is an animated movie about this raccoon who convinces all these animals to store up a bunch of food, and he then steals it from them, and then, then, you know, it has a good ending. But anyways, there's this scene in the movie where he's talking about humans and how obsessed they are with food. And he says, they wear the food. They drive the food. And then it has a scene of them at a dinner table and says, this is the altar where they worship food. Really funny scene. Ten out of ten would recommend. Now, (laughs) I'm using that as an example because that is almost exactly the type of language that is used in Deuteronomy. Wear the food, except in this case, it's the word. Wear the word, drive the word, uh, pray the word when you sit down with people and eat, when you ha- are in fellowship, talk about the word, discuss it everywhere. When you sit down, when you walk, when you lie down, when you rise up, it's saying talk about it everywhere. That's the point. It should, it shouldn't be food. It should be the word of God, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, we, exactly. I guess yeah, It is food, food, food for your life. Yeah. Life. Yes. The bread of life. Exactly. So that's the illustration. We we should be thinking about the words so much that we talk about it everywhere. And that is the means by which your life as a rudder on a ship is steered with your tongue. Amen? Amen. Any final questions or comments about anything? Yes, back here. Microphone for Dolores?
4: that the word um, also is a reflection of what's in your heart. Mm -hmm. And in order for you to change what's in your heart, you have to change your word. Mm -hmm. So if you even look at Proverbs, was it uh, 423? Guard your heart. Yep. If you look from 23 to 27, it tells you what to do. Mm -hmm. It's just laid out.
0: Yeah, let's check it out. It says, put away from you a deceitful mouth and put perverse lips far from you. Let your eyes look straight ahead and your eyelids look right before you. Ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Remove your foot from evil. Yeah. Amen. The previous verse, verse 22, or actually if you start in verse 20, it says, My son, give attention to my words, incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. It is health to you. Amen. Yeah, that's good. Thank you for bringing that up, Dolores. Any more comments, questions? Yes.
1: You said that we were
4: born in a fallen world and our senses were trained in evil, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm wondering if this verse is picking up on that in Hebrews 5.14. But solid food is for the mature because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: What do you think about that?
0: That you have to train your senses. And, yeah,
4: well, yeah. the question came, how do you control thoughts that keep coming? Is is that what So we like meditate on the word and speak with others and stuff, what we're meditating on? And yep. this is training
0: our senses? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that that exercises your senses, trains your senses. You have to discern good and evil. Yeah.
3: Yeah, from there, I just think of when you mentioned Lazarus and Jesus said everyone leave who's crying and bawling and squalling, right, except Peter, James, and Johnny took with him and the parents. Or I'm thinking of a different story. But with Lazarus, um, I imagine that the disciples had to get their imagination, their thinking, like, okay, He's dead, but we're going to imagine him raising up, coming alive from the dead. So I think the imagination is the first step. We have to see it. Like, we have to see ourselves lay hands on someone and pray for them to be healed. You have to see it and believe it, right?
4: Mm
3: -hmm.
4: What really helped me with the thought thing is when I had a thought that, I didn't want, or a thought that I felt wasn't mine, I would just rebuke the thought. I rebuke this thought. This is not mine. And eventually, the thoughts just
1: went away.
0: Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You have, uh, Jesus did this once. In Jesus' case, it was actually even even more bold. But when Peter was influenced by Satan and started telling Jesus, you know, by, by no means, God forbid, you're not going to the cross. Like, you shall never die. And even though Jesus knew that he was supposed to die. Jesus turned and actually facing towards Peter said, get behind me, Satan. You're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Jesus was rebuking that thought or that idea because it came from the devil, even though Peter was being used to communicate that thought or to say it, which tells you that there are some times where people will say things and it's not just coming from them, that it can actually be demonically inspired And if a person is saying something to you that's demonically inspired, then in that case, Jesus actually rebuked the devil. And, you know, he said, get behind me, Satan. And then he spoke what was true. You're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. And that was Jesus' way of undoing that. Uh, So that, that sometimes we have to do that as Jesus did. But yes, any more comments, questions about anything?